So we're going to pick up in the next in our series, the third in our series on Philippians, Overflowing Joy. And this morning we're going to be looking at the uh, 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 the whole thing of imitating, imitating Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read a passage. It's a really well-known passage from Philippians chapter 2. And the words will come up behind me on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, you can follow it. Uh, It's from the New International Version. This is what it says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a magnificent passage magnificent passage. We're going to be unpacking a little bit of it this morning. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I was part of uh, a youth group, a church youth group. Um, uh, the, the only thing that really, in terms of church, was that we went to church um, and had the meeting in church. But apart from that, there wasn't really much good to say about the youth group. We were a very disparate group of young people who uh, mucked about a lot, had a big lot, uh, used to have a lot of fun. But uh, to be honest, in terms of uh, there were lots of issues in each one of our lives, we were, to be honest, we were a mess. And um, we went away, uh, we ended up going away to something called Spring Harvest, and it was, uh, we went mainly just for fun, we were going to play snooker, and the boys were going to play snooker football, the girls were going to do whatever girls did at those sort of things, and we were just going to mess about, that's all we went to do. And uh, we went away for about five or six days, and while we were there, something remarkable happened. We heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus in a new way. It changed our lives. God got hold of this messed up group of young people and did something absolutely remarkable. We left that place six days later, a radically transformed group of people with a common purpose knitted together in something that God had done through his son Jesus Christ and it had impacted each one of our lives. And that common purpose still drives me today. Similarly, the church that we have been reading about in Philippi started with a ragtag group of people. Lydia, a businesswoman from Thyatira, was the first convert, followed by her household. 
It's possible that the slave girl that Paul delivered from demonic oppression that we read about in Acts chapter 16 verse 18 was possibly part of the church. And in addition, the Philippian jailer, this rough jailer and his family had all turned to follow Christ. They had all experienced the amazing grace of God and had been grafted into a new community. By the time Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, some 10 years after the church had started, the church had grown. And in Corinthians, Paul tells us that it was part of a group of churches that weren't wealthy. They'd experienced huge difficulties. And yet the people were joy-filled, passionate, generous, full of faith and committed to following Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this letter and despite there have been some serious fallings out that we read about at the end of the letter between two key ladies in the church. Paul writes this letter challenging them and encouraging them to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he says this will be demonstrated by your unity. You know, in a world full of strife and struggle and trouble, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, brings unity. And through that unity, through that God knitting us together, doing something remarkable in us, it causes the world around to see the reality and the relevance of the gospel. Paul goes on to say this. If you have received any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from the love of God, any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, then be like-minded, having the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. Unity is crucial. But is it possible? Is it just a pipe dream? I went to, um, uh, some of you will remember Dave Barnett. Dave Barnett uh, died just before Christmas and his funeral was on Monday. And we went to the funeral and um, uh, Ian, his son, had said to me, uh, everybody's going to be wearing saint shirts. They're saint shirts. We want you to wear a saint shirt. So, so you've got pictures. I, I've never done a funeral in a saint shirt. Okay, so... I'm thinking I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a saint supporter. I've got a saint shirt and it's signed. So I'm going to trump everyone if I wear it. So, um, but as as I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking, was he he joking? Am I going to turn up and find nobody else is wearing a saint shirt and I'm wearing a saint shirt? So this is sort of how my mind starts to work. So I'm thinking, right, just in case, I'm going to wear a suit so I'm wearing a suit, I've got a shirt on, and I've got my saint shirt over the top with my suit jacket on top, just in case. Because if I get there and no one's in saint shirt, I can take the saint shirt off and I can get away with it. So I'm literally thinking, maybe Ian's having enough. As I get there, of course, everybody's wearing saint shirt. But I'm thinking, maybe, just Maybe it's a setup. Maybe I'm going to end up in a messy situation. Maybe I'm going to be looking a fool. Is Paul setting us up here for disappointment, saying, yeah, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to 
have the same spirit. I want you to love one another deeply from that. Is he setting us up for a disappointment? Is he saying, yeah, do it, but really it's not possible? You know, it's one of those things he says, yeah, well, give it, do your best, give it your best. Is he saying that? No, he's not. He is saying here that we can have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus. He's saying it is possible for us. It's possible for us to follow Jesus' example. Paul goes on to say, to achieve this, we need, first of all, a right view of the gospel. Now, when I was in school, I was uh, in, in Alpha Comprehensive in Swansea, and uh, I remember my first year of school, we were streamed, we, I was put in, I was in class 1-1, that was the na- uh, number of my class, class 1-1, and in my class there was a, a, a girl called Caroline. Now Caroline Hobbs was the, she had the most amazing mind, she was absolutely brilliant, and so when we came to exam time, uh, what they used to do, they, uh, you, they'd get all the marks from your exams, and what they would do is they would total that, and they would give you an average for all your exams. And we'd do about 13, 14, 15 exams, covering all sorts of subjects. And her average was somewhere between 99 and 100 for every, for, through all the exams. Through all the exams. She was an amazing, she, could, she played, uh, I think it was the clarinet, and she was amazing on the clarinet. It was just like... And I remember going home and I'd done really well in one particular, it was one exam, okay, I did well in one exam and I had about, I think I got 96, I think it might have been in RE, you're amazed aren't you? So, and she'd got, I think she'd got, she'd got about 99, she might have even got 100 and I remember my dad saying to me, he said, he said, Steve, he said, well done, but he said, why don't you try and beat Caroline Hobbs? Why don't you try and, do, you know, and you're like... What? What? I'm, Dad, what are you talking about? Dad, Dad, you don't understand. She may be brilliant in all those things, but Dad, she can't do a hundred keepy-uppies with a football. <laughs> Dad, she has never scored a goal with a tin can. We used to play sometimes. We didn't know a ball. We played with a tin can. I remember scoring a header with a tin can. <laughs> Dad, Dad... She can't name all the Leeds United football players. I mean, I mean, she was. She, my dad had sent me something. I just thought I just can't do it. But I can do this. But I can't get anywhere close to this girl. Paul is setting us here a, a impossibly high standard. Imitate Jesus Christ. Imitate Jesus Christ. How on earth are we going to do that? How on earth is that possible? I mean, if we try as hard as we can, we're never going to get there. And then Paul goes into something which is uh, it's really unusual. He actually then quotes a first century hymn. And he sets out, it's, it's almost like he breaks out into worship, having set this challenge before the church in Philippi and before us. He then breaks out into worship. And he sets out this magnificent hymn which sets out the work of the cross. This is what holds the key to our unity and to our joy. 
The antidote to Christian self-help techniques of trying harder is always the cross. It is always what Jesus has accomplished for us, which we receive by grace. This is the gospel. And in these few verses, we find a few, more than a few facts to believe. It's more than facts. In them, we find a mystery. We find the mystery revealed. How an awesome, holy God could allow people who are fallen and broken and messed up, ruined lives, how he could allow them into his presence. We find the wonder of the, the grace of God revealed to us. A right view of the gospel enables us to live in a way that pleases God. This morning, let this song of worship get into your souls. Jesus was in very nature God. He wasn't like God. He wasn't made of God-like material. He was God. He was the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. God is spirit. God doesn't have a human body. So Jesus carried the very nature of God. And yet we're told he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. What does that mean? Even though he never stopped being God... Jesus willingly laid aside his majesty. He chose not to exercise the privileges of his godhood. He was there in the very beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that has been made was made. He was God but chose to live as a man filled with God's spirit. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by fully embracing his humanity. He was a man just like us. He then demonstrated the greatest act of humility that this world ever has seen or ever will see. He died in our place on a cross that God might be able to forgive us that God's righteous anger at our rebellion our going our own way our living without reference to God might be dealt with once and for all here was no stoicism he didn't show a stiff upper lip it says for the joy set before him he, he endured the cross Jesus Christ went to the cross with joy in his heart knowing that he would save people like you and me Jesus stooped lower than anyone has ever stooped however bad we've been whatever we've done however we've behaved not one of us is beyond the work of the cross. Jesus was obedient to death. He was obedient to his Father's will. It was the plan and purpose of God for him to die in our place. Through the obedience of this one God-man, we are made righteous before God. We stand before God acceptable. He didn't just die and that was the end. God raised him from the dead. Three days after being buried, he burst from the grave. Death couldn't hold him. 
He is the firstborn from out among the dead, never to die again. He accomplished it all. God's justice is satisfied and our sin is obliterated. Hallelujah. Therefore, God highly exalted him and has raised him back to where he always was. He has been given a name which transcends every name. Because he is victorious. He has been raised as a man into the presence of God. And so shall we because he goes before us. Only the power of the cross makes it possible for us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. If we're going to achieve, if we're going to live as people that have the same attitude as Jesus, we need a right view of the gospel. You need to allow the power of those truths to get into your spirits and you live out of them every day. We need a right view of the gospel. Secondly, we need a right view of ourselves. A right view of ourselves. I mean, Jesus was the most humble man that has ever walked this earth. Humility, we we, we love to think that we can do it, don't we? Oh, it was nothing. It really was. It was nothing. That's fine, isn't it? Until someone says, yeah, no, you're right, it was nothing. <laughs> and then inside you're going, what, what do you mean? No, what, don't, don't you realize what I... We love to think that we're, we're humble. I... Um, this, um, the funeral, I'm sure Ian won't mind me saying it. But at the funeral, at the, at the crematorium, uh, I'm uh, doing the eulogy. I'm saying, talking about Dave and uh, talking about his faith, talking about his family. And so as I talk about his family, Ian has given me a list of uh, some information. And, and so I'm just repeating it. Or so I think I am anyway. So, uh, he, and he's talked about uh, uh, Dave's five sisters. So I, I sort of say, and uh, Dave had five sisters, and then as I start going through them, and there was, uh, I forget the names, but you know, the first one, the oldest one is Eileen, um, and then when Ian had sent me the email, he'd said, uh, he said, Pat, comma, uh, I think it was a, a Le- Leslie, bracket, no longer with us, uh, and then the two younger sisters' names, you know, still alive. So I say, um, Pat and Leslie, you know, no longer with us, two younger sisters still alive, and um, there's a bit of a kerfuffle in the crematorium. I'm thinking, I don't know what they're making a fuss about. So you carry on, do this. And then we come back here for the Thanksgiving, and um, the nephew, I think, gets up, and he, he, he sort of, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a London lad, he's a London lad, and he goes, oh, Steve, um, oh, yeah. Pat, you know, uh, you said Pat's not with us. Well, she's sitting over there. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no. And do you know, you get those moments where you've just gone inside, you're thinking, oh, I feel so. And it was all about a comma. I just, the grammar, I misread the grammar. My mistake. I feel, oh, no. I have to go and say to her, I'm so sorry. You know, she's laughing her head off. She said, oh, Dave, he would have thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so it all ends fine. But inside, inside, what's happening inside is something. I'm like, oh, I'm, oh I, look, I look a real idiot in front of these people. There's something inside 
that goes, oh, our pride is God. And we go, oh. I went to a wedding on Saturday. And I'm doing the wedding, and it was a, it was a tricky wedding because the bride was really nervous. She was chatty all the way through the service. And then when I get, when I, uh, I, I and then I, I sort of, I'm thrown, I'm, tr- I'm really having to work hard to keep the, the, the wedding going and to, to get through the vows, and, you know, because it's a real serious moment, vows before God. And, and then at the end, the, the bride had said to me she was coming in to Jurassic Park. I thought she was joking. Because when I think Jurassic Park, I think of the Jeep, uh, 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 Triceratops, whatever, pterodactyls, uh, Lois screaming, whatever. I'm thinking, she's not coming out to that. So at the end, I've I've just got through this. I'm really just, we've got through that. I say, I'm so glad she said she was coming into Jurassic Park. So glad uh, she didn't. Well, she did. She came into the music from Jurassic Park and I didn't know. And I, I had loads of people afterwards come up to me and say, oh, Steve, you did so well today with the service. You, well done. I don't know, you know, you did you handle it really well because it was, you know, also. But the one thing, there was some came to me, hey, didn't you know she came into Jurassic Park? Didn't you know that? Oh, I can't believe you did that. Kept saying it to me. Inside, you're thinking, yeah, but, but didn't you see, you know, how, like, inside is pride. I just get inside. That was the thing I focused on. A right view of ourselves. Humility is our greatest battle. Godly humility is essentially believing the gospel and seeing ourselves in the light of who God is and what he says about us. We cannot imitate Christ's humility without there being a deep work of the cross in our heart. God loves humility. He loves us having a right understanding of ourselves in the light of who he is. Humility is knowing that God is awesome in power and that we're weak and fragile creatures with limited power and we make mistakes and we get things wrong. Humility is knowing that God is holy and we fall short of his perfection every day. Humility is understanding there's nothing that he doesn't know and his ways are beyond tracing out. And the truth is, we know nothing by comparison. Humility is knowing he is God and we are not. John Calvin wrote this, It is evident that man never attains a true knowledge, self-knowledge, Until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. The truth is, God helps those who are humble. He gives grace to them. Humility attracts God's attention and favor. But pride, pride, God is actively against the proud, the Bible says. God hates pride. He resists the proud. How scary is that? Pride stops the flow of God's grace. So how do we have the same attitude as Jesus? How do we have this humility? How do we gain this humility? Do we try harder? 
I was listening to a radio program as over the Christmas period, and it was talking about image. And it was talking about image amongst the uh, teens and 20s. And it was talking, talking about image, and images in the media are often airbrushed. I think we all realize that and recognize it. But image is a massive driver for so many people. And the trouble is, we imitate what catches our heart. And so, our image is important in terms of what we wear, our hairstyle. For blokes, it's facial hair. If you've, I don't know if you've noticed that there's a load of people wearing growing beards, or has been over the last couple of years. It's all about image. It's all about uh, famous people, what they, uh, how, they, uh, uh, how they look. And so people want to copy it. It's all about the words we use, what we look like, the careers we follow. And if you're in a, a, a teenager, perhaps in your 20s, Facebook is really important to you. Your image on Facebook is, is, is really important. And so what you do is you, you go to get the best image of you. And, uh, and so what you do is you make sure that uh, uh, the light is right and uh, uh, your image is, is perfect. So when, you look at, so when people look at it, they go, wow, and they like it. And if you don't get enough likes, you need to change your image. Or if you see someone else's image that is better than you, you think, oh, no, I need, a better, you need to get the image right. For guys, it's about, uh, for younger guys, it's about the gym and it's about the, how big the guns are and how, you, you know, your stomach looking ripped. And you want to you look the part. And so you go to the gym and you work out. And however hard you work it, you sit. There's always someone there on the, the heavy weights that's got bigger guns than you. And you're like, oh, no. So, so, you, so you, you're pushed and, you're full, and, and so you go into, uh, uh, you, 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 you take protein powder and you do whatever you can to look the part and get the image right. Image is everything. We chase the dream and end up in a prison of our own making. And we do that each, for true for each one of us. Each one of us battle with image. The gospel is that because of the work of the cross, Christ dwells in us by his spirit. If that's true, then we need to stop looking at ourselves and look at him. We are weak. He is strong. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. We can do our best, but he can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Humility is considering him. It's considering his promises and his power at work in us and not relying on our own efforts. It's about dying to ourselves and aligning what he says about us. You see, beauty... The Bible says, God says that beauty is not on the outward appearance. God says that beauty is that of an inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, Peter tells us. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, that's what Peter says. Paul tells Timothy, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. See, the the world's approach to images is all driven by pride and results in insecurity, addictions and harsh regimes. At best, its impact is transitory. Stop training and suddenly there's muscle wastage. We grow older. 
we age. We don't look like we did when we were 17, 18. The world's approach gives us no answer. The Christian self-help approach gives us no answer. It involves biblical behavior management. It's driven by legalism and spiritual pride. It's a mixture of biblical truth and effort. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we say, but then it's all about trying harder, about beating ourselves up. It's about rules and regulations. It's a list of do's and don'ts. And it results in anxiety, frustration and failure because the bar is too high. We recognize that the Bible says pursue godliness, but it, it becomes for us a list of do's and don'ts. Well, I do that and I don't do that. I'm, I'm godly if I do this. I'm not godly if I do that. We live in this world of biblical behavior, self-management. The gospel approach smashes all of it. The gospel approach is living in all that Jesus Christ has won for us. And we receive it by grace. God loves us just as we are. He loves you just as you are. He loves the way you look. He made you the way you are. He's delighted in you. The gospel approach is that we need to love ourselves just as God loves us. Real beauty is inside. Our bodies are going to fail and our looks are going to fade. Godliness is a free gift of grace. And thereafter we seek to live in it. The Bible says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We live in grace. It's about living in who we are in Christ. Grace is the answer. And we find the gospel at the foot of an empty cross. We find the gospel at the doorway of an empty tomb. We find the gospel on a mountaintop looking up at a sky where Jesus has disappeared. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is now at at the right hand of the Father in heaven and there's a day he's going to come back. But all that you need for this life is found in him. All that we need. Amy's word this morning, right at the very beginning of the worship. It's about him. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. We need a right view of ourselves. Through the power of the cross, we can consider others better than ourselves. You know, what's our attitude like when others get chosen and we don't? Are we genuinely pleased? What about when others take a step of faith? Do we encourage, support and pray for them or... Are we secretly hoping inside they're going to fail? When things are sticky, do we slip into poor old me mode? Or do we walk on the sunny side of the street? Is every situation an opportunity to prove God faithful? We must never lose sight of the interests of others. We are to be completely humble and gentle. And if we're going to do... if we pursue that we will be the best version of ourselves that we can be because the great we are living in the grace of God 
That's why God calls us to imitate Christ. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need a right view of ourselves. And if we're going to imitate Jesus, we need a right view of others. You know, history is full of great men who've built kingdoms. Yet all they ever did was uh, subjugate with military might those that they conquered. Yet God, God's ways are countercultural. They run counter to the ways of this world. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born that God's Messiah would come and bring justice, deliverance, and salvation. Isaiah refers to this Messiah as the servant of the Lord in four songs. They're called the servant songs in Isaiah. Paul introduces Jesus in this hymn as this great servant. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant and looking to the interests of others. And Jesus was reflecting the heart of Almighty God. God is the helper of the fatherless, we're told. In Hebrews, we read that the Lord is our helper. Jesus himself said that he came to serve and not be served. In John chapter 13, we see him, an incident where he washes his disciples' feet. It was a menial job. It was the job of a servant. And Jesus deliberately washes his disciples' feet because he wants them to know that actually that is the way of the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about what you look like. It's not about uh, how people perceive you. It's about serving others. Paul tells the Ephesians to be imitators of God, to be filled with the Spirit and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what he tells the Ephesians. And they do that through serving one another. Here are a few ways. Husbands are to love their wives just as Jesus loved the church. Husbands love their wives as Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Well, he gave himself for the church when nobody loved it when nobody cared about him he laid down his life irrespective of what others thought Jesus didn't have a bride who was desperately wanting him Jesus died for us while we were still steeped in our rebellion and sin See, too often our love is conditional. Wives are to respect their husband, Ephesians tells us. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Is respect dependent on performance? Or is it based on how Jesus performed for him? I encourage you, if you need to do the marriage course, do the marriage course. There's great stuff and it will help you. Ephesians talks about children obeying parents and fathers not exasperating children. Maybe you're here unmarried. Well, the Bible encourages us to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Not just in spirit, but in body as well. 
We serve Christ. We live for Christ. We die to ourselves. Employers are to treat employees with kindness and generosity. Employees are to work for their employers as best they can. We serve because he gave himself for us. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's obedience. Obedience to what the Father says. But it's not done out of a legalism. If I do it, I'll please him. We do it because we love him. We do it because we have received grace from him and we can't think of any better way to please him than to live as his son lived. And we can do it not because uh, we're strong or we're clever, but we can do it because his spirit is within us and his word is there to help us. And so as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates it. And the Holy Spirit, it says that your word is a lamp for my feet. It shows us how to live. The Holy Spirit then comes and enables us to do it. But we do it out of the grace of God. Not trying to, uh, we're not achieving anything by our performance. God doesn't love us any more than he does already. He can't. Jesus, he gave his son for us. If he gave his son for us, He can't love us any more than he already does. We are called to imitate Christ. We're called to have a right view of others. We're to have the same attitude as Jesus. And this is only possible if we get the gospel by dying to ourselves and living for Christ. We need a right view of the gospel. We need a right view of the cross. We need to keep it before us every day. We need a right view of ourselves. We are nothing. He is everything. We are only something because we are in Christ. We need a right view of others. We need to love people as he loved them. We need to love one another. Not conditionally, but unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally. It's amazing. We're going to put the last slide up. This is what it says. If we can have that last slide up, I'm going to read that verse from Galatians. Galatians 6 says this. Let this be our attitude. Let's get this into our spirits. May I never boast except in the cross, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. God wants us to live that sort of life. If we're going to be the people he wants us to be, if we're going to imitate Christ, we will do it because of the cross, of what the work of the cross. We're going to stand together. We're going to respond to him. The band are come up, going to come up. We're going to respond as we worship. But maybe this morning you... Just know that you've just been struggling. Maybe you know you've 
not been living in the grace of God. You've been battling with performance. If I do that, God will love me. Maybe you've got caught up in image. Maybe image for you has been everything. And you've just got entangled with it. It's about what other people think about you. And you don't have to be young for that to be true. We all battle with that. It's all about what people think about us. Maybe you've lived in that sort of world. And so what you do is you, you keep a veil up in front of you so people don't really get to see the real you. Because if they did, they wouldn't like you anymore. You need to know that God loves you just as you are. That is the gospel. God loves you today just as you are. You don't need a veil. And actually, if he loves you, it actually doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks because the God who created the heavens and the earth loves you. How amazing is that? He loves you just as you are. He loves you just as you are because Jesus Christ died for you. How amazing. What an incredible gospel. It's liberating. It sets you free. You don't need to live in prison. You don't need to live in a prison of your own making. Jesus Christ will set you free. And maybe this morning you've come here. You have never given your life to Jesus Christ. You can know that freedom. You can come to know him. You can give your life to him today. Let's stand together. Father, right now we stretch out our hands to you. We say thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son who laid down his life for us. Thank you for this magnificent, glorious gospel. Jesus Christ, Son of God, given for us, completely man, completely God, bearing our sin, our shame, suffered the wrath of God that we might be free, that we might be beloved of God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We say there is none like you. We want to have the same attitude as you have. We want to live out of the gospel. We want to live out of knowing who we are in Christ. Live out of the truth about what you say about us. See ourselves as you see us. Live in humility. The humility that you had where we have a view of ourselves that's shaped by who you are. We want to love one another deeply from the heart. And Father, we say we can only do that We can only do that by the power of your spirit. It's a work of the cross in our hearts. God, we love you. We worship you.